Watch WTBN Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. You ever meet people who have pride over their church? I mean, an unwholesome pride, like, this is the place. You know, if you're not here, then you're just not with it. Or denominational pride. Or a pride in their pastor that is, that is sinful pride. Religious pride is a horrible kind of pride because it's so smug and it, and it sounds so good and, and it appears so spiritual, but it's just the opposite. It's arrogant. Welcome to another broadcast of Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He is teaching a series of messages that answer the question, Has God Rejected Israel? Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 11 and join Pastor Steve as he continues on this topic. Why is this significant for us today? Because when Paul speaks about the restoration of Israel, Paul gives a warning to the Gentile church, a warning about them looking down upon the Jewish people as if they are better than the Jewish people. And what Paul is going to do is he is going to combine the, the two truths, the truth of Israel's restoration with a warning to the Gentile church, don't look down on Israel, don't look down on them, don't think you're better than them because you're in the place of blessing now. It's a warning. Look at verse 16. And if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. Now there are two analogies in this verse, the analogy of a piece of dough to the lump and the analogy of a root to the branches. The first analogy comes from Numbers 15, verses 18 through 21. Very interesting. God says through Moses in verse 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land where I bring you, then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to the Lord. And of the first of your dough, you shall lift up a cake as an offering. As the offering of the threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. From the first of your dough, you shall give to the Lord an offering throughout your generations. That's, that's the background of Paul's Analogy of a piece of dough to the lump. Let me explain it. Each time dough was prepared, each time it was prepared by the Jewish people for baking bread. They would prepare dough for, or they would use dough to bake bread. A little piece of that bread, a little piece of that dough was to be given to the Lord. Probably this means it was given to the priest and it would sustain him. And it was just, they were giving it to the Lord. They gave it to God's man. And uh, that's how he was nourished and sustained. But it symbolized, as they gave a little piece to the Lord, it symbolized, Lord, you have it all. You have it all. It was a symbolic act that indicated that the whole lump belonged to God. We, we know this is the first fruits. If the first fruits belong to the Lord, then it all belongs to the Lord. It was symbolic. They just gave a little bit to the priest. I hope they were generous, but they gave a little bit to the priest. And God says that if a little bit is given, then the whole thing belongs to me. Okay, I hope you understand. It's not very difficult. Uh, in fact, the word in verse 16 about holy does not mean morally holy. Holy means set aside, sanctified, set apart. It means if, if the first part of the bread was set apart for the Lord, then the whole thing belongs to him. 
That, that's all it means. Nothing very hard about it. Now, the second analogy means basically the same thing. If the root of a tree belongs to the Lord, then the branches that come from that tree are also set apart for the Lord. That's not hard either. The root belongs to him, then the branches that stem from the tree and go back to the root, they belong to the Lord also. Paul goes on to explain the concept of a root and branches, and it is one that terribly troubles some Christians. Now, this church has been indoctrinated about eternal security, and I don't need to go through all these these, uh, uh, verses that deal with eternal security, but this troubles some people because they think that Paul is saying you can lose your salvation. Now, let's give Paul a little credit. I mean, just, what, three chapters back in Romans chapter 8, he just took the whole chapter to explain there's no condemnation for those in Christ. He's not going to change his mind three chapters later and say, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. Paul says, what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Nothing. So he's not going to contradict himself. Give him some credit that that, uh, not only did he have a brain, but he was inspired by the Spirit of God. But some people are still troubled over this. And the trouble comes in verses 20 through 22, through 22, which speak about the branches being cut off. Let me help you on this. Before we even explain it, let me say context. You've heard there are three rules about interpreting the Bible, context, context, and context. In the passage, in this context, Paul isn't referring to individuals. He's not. But rather, he's referring to Israel nationally and to the Gentile church collectively. Now that you ought to keep in mind. That will help you. He's not speaking about individuals. He's speaking about Israel nationally as a whole and the Gentiles collectively, the Gentile church collectively. That's the context. Now let's follow Paul's thinking. The context is Israel's restoration. And what he's saying in the whole part of the analogy is this. Now keep this in mind. Very important. If one portion of the Jewish people belong to the Lord, then all the rest have to be set apart for him also. That's the point. If one part, if the root belongs to the Lord, then the branches do also. If one part has been consecrated, not made morally pure or holy, but have been set apart, then it only follows that they're all set apart for him. The question is, who is the root? of the Jewish people. I have no problem about this. There is no question in my mind that the root is none other than the patriarchs and specifically Abraham. And perhaps we could say also Isaac and Jacob, but I think particularly Abraham. The origin of the nation goes back to Abraham. He is the root. He is where it all stems from. Israel is rooted in the covenant promises made to one man, and that was Abraham. That's why we call it the Abrahamic covenant. Makes sense. In other words, because Abraham was set apart to God, then all the Jewish people which came out from Abraham's loins have been set apart too. He's not speaking here about a remnant, not speaking here about the apostates, speaking here about everybody. All the Jewish people have been set apart. In other words, God has a plan for everybody. They're rooted in Abraham. The root is Abraham and the branches are the Jewish people. Believing remnant, the unbelieving majority. Verse 17. I hope you understand that. If not, you have to get the tape. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Now let's stop there. He says something has happened now. 
Paul refers to a grafting process by which some of the branches from a wild olive tree, an unproductive olive tree, olive trees grow all over Israel. These wild olive trees, unproductive, were not bearing fruit. Wild olive tree generally, they don't bear fruit. They were grafted into a cultivated, productive olive tree, while some of the branches of the cultivated and productive olive tree were broken off. What does he mean? Who are the branches that were broken off? The majority of the nation of Israel were broken off. They've temporarily been set aside. The remnant's still there. Remnants are still there. But most of the Jewish people have been broken off. Permanently? Of course not. That's the whole point of this chapter. But they have been broken off from the covenant blessings temporarily set aside during this church age. And in their place, God has taken Gentile branches that came from a wild, unproductive, unfruitful tree, and he has grafted them into the place of privilege. I believe the tree is the place of privilege, the place of blessing, the place that that the covenant blessings flow from Abraham, from the root on up. Gentiles who come to Christ in this age become partakers of the spiritual blessings of the covenant. This is what is known as the new covenant. We always speak about that when we speak of communion. I don't think we ever explain it. Jesus speaks of the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant emphasizes the spiritual aspects of the covenant. That's why Gentile Christians are called sons of Abraham. Uh, my, my dear uh, friend and teacher at Moody Bible Institute, Irvin Robertson, whenever he'd see me, he'd say, son of Abraham. And I'd say, son of Abraham. We, you know, both sons of Abraham, just passing in the hallway. You are children of Abraham, spiritual children of Abraham, if you know Christ. I am to be a physical child of Abraham as well as a spiritual child of Abraham. But the point that Paul is making is that when you come to Christ, you come, even as a Gentile, you're grafted into the blessings and the privilege that Israel has forfeited with salvation. You now have privileges that Jewish people, for the most part, who do, well, Jewish people don't know Christ, don't have. And it could mean, and it often does mean, to religious pride. I think that's the worst kind of pride. You ever meet people who have pride over their church? I mean, an unwholesome pride, like, this is the place. You know, if you're not here, then you're just not with it. Or denominational pride. Or a pride in their pastor that is, that is sinful pride. Religious pride is a horrible kind of pride because it's so smug and it, and it sounds so good and, and it appears so spiritual, but it's just the opposite. It's arrogant. Well, that's what was happening here. And Paul says in verse 18, understand that you were just grafted in. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, which means high-minded, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. In other words, don't look down upon the Jewish people. You think you're something special because you're in a place of blessing now and they're not. Remember this. You are at the source of your blessing. You know what the source of your blessing is? A Jewish covenant. The blessing is a Jewish root. Abraham, you're arrogant towards the Jewish people. You better understand that everything you have in Christ stems from, <coughs> stems from a promise that God made to a Jewish root. That's Abraham. Jesus said in John 4, salvation is of the Jews. Now, we don't want to magnify the Jewish people beyond what we should, but we also certainly don't want to look down upon them and say, we're better. Look at this. They blew it. They discarded all the blessings, and we're better than them. That's God's plan and, you know, that kind of stuff. Paul writes, you'll say then, you say you, you understand that 
you know, you're not the source of your blessing. The source of your blessing is an Abrahamic covenant, the Jewish root. But you'll say then, understanding that branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. All right, I'll concede. In other words, that blessings flow from a Jewish root. But the Jewish people were broken off. Paul, isn't that right? Jewish people were broken off that we Gentiles might be grafted in. Doesn't that mean that we're better? I mean, isn't that, isn't that what it says? Well, how does Paul address this problem? How does he address religious pride, arrogance? How does he address this attitude that says, I'm better than a Jew because I'm now part of the church? You know, this, is, this takes place even in our day and age. I, I never will forget, I was taking an, an evening course at, at Moody, taking a course on the Gospel of John. In fact, in the Gospel of John deals so much with Jewish unbelief. There was one young man there who raised his hand. I don't know how he had the courage to, to say this, but he did. I don't know how he had the gall to say this, but he did. He said to the teacher, he said, Sir, uh, wouldn't you say... That um, don't you love when people say, wouldn't you say, which is what they're, what they're saying is, don't you agree with me? But he said, wouldn't you say that, that um, unbelief is a Jewish problem? We had some Jewish believers in the class. It's very fortunate this young man made it out alive. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm exaggerating there. But, uh, and I'll never forget what the teacher said. He said, unbelief is a human problem. But you see, there was still that, I don't know where this fellow was coming from as far as his church and all. Later, he got straightened out. He became a real lover of the Jewish people. But you see, there was that prevailing attitude that wouldn't you say that this is predominantly what takes place? I mean, that Gentiles don't have this kind of problem. Well, you see, there can very easily be that that subtle anti-Semitism looking down upon Jewish people. How does Paul deal with it? Look at the beginning of verse 20. He says, quite right. You understand the branches were broken off that you might be grafted in. Yeah, you you understand that, but you don't have the right attitude. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. And you stand, and I might add, you arrogant person, you stand only by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. But fear. See, the only reason that Gentiles stand in the place of blessing today is because they believe, not because they're better. Jews are not better than Gentiles. Gentiles are not better than Jews. The issue is not a racial one. The issue is not an ethnic one. The tension isn't between Jews and Gentiles. The tension and question is a matter of faith. Who believes? God is no respecter of person. Whoever would come to him in faith would be grafted in. You see, that's the sole issue. And that's why Paul says, don't be lifted up with pride, but have fear. So he says at the end of verse 20, why should they have fear? He says, you're high-minded. You ought to get low and have a wholesome fear. Why should the Gentile church fear? Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. In other words, if God didn't spare the original people, the covenants, the people that he had loved so long and, and had been connected with, and in fact, his, his very own wife, if he, if he did not spare them because of unbelief, then do you think that he's going to spare you? If you don't believe, I mean, that's a pretty heavy statement. If he, if he would, would deal this way with his wife, because they, if she doesn't believe, then do you think he's going to deal any differently with you if you don't believe? Why should God have any more regard for a faithless Gentile Christianity than, a, than an apostate Judaism? That's the real question. Why should God have more regard for a, for a Gentile apostate church than he does 
for an apostate Judaism. Look at verse 22, and I want you to understand this. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Now this is what bothers people. This is what bothers people. They say, look, it's in black and white. God's going to cut off the Gentile church. Would God ever cut off the Gentile church? It's going to shock you, but yes, he would. You say, wait a minute, but you saw it on eternal security. Let me explain that. Just as the olive tree had apostate, unbelieving Jews that were cut off, and they were. Remember I told you that tree of blessing, God has cut them off in this day and age. That tree consisted of all the branches of all the Jewish people. God's cut some of them off. Some of them were apostate. Some of them were unbelieving. In fact, most were. They were cut off. So the Gentile church certainly has apostate, unbelieving Gentiles that will be cut off too. He is not speaking here about the true church. He is speaking about what we call Christendom, churchianity, Christianity. Most of what we know as Christendom, what you would read in a religious section of a newspaper would consider Christendom, most of it is apostate, unbelieving liberals who deny the deity of Christ, they attack the Bible, and they scorn the gospel. They're called the church, and they are in a very loose way at least identified with the true church. If all Israel is not Israel, Romans 9, 6, then certainly all the church is not the church. Paul here is referring to that part of the church, that apostate, unbelieving church, the church that has never believed. They didn't lose their salvation. They never had it to begin with. They will be cut off and destroyed. In fact, Revelation chapter 3. I want you to bear with me for a moment because we just can't stop here. Revelation chapter 3 speaks of the church of Laodicea. And I believe in the progression of, of the historical perspective of those churches in Asia Minor. This is the apostate church. This is the, the church that uh, is going to be cut off. Revelation 3.15, Paul says to the church at Laodicea, or Jesus writes to the church at Laodicea, I know your deeds, but they're neither hot nor cold. Cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Literally, I'll vomit you. You nauseate me. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What's he saying? He's saying you're going to be cut off. He's not speaking to the true church here. God doesn't spit the true church out of his mouth. These people are lukewarm. These people are apostates. The hardest people to reach are those who play at Christianity. They're lukewarm. They're not cold. You speak to them about the gospel. They say, yes, I believe. Yeah, I've never seen any change in my life ever, but I believe. I came forward. Yeah, I believe. They're not Christians. They're not believers. There's never been any evidence of that. God says they're going to be cut off, cut off and destroyed. You know when this takes place? At the rapture. Now listen, at the rapture, the true church goes. The apostate church stays and the blessings end. And yes, there are certain blessings that, that even the apostate church gets being identified with the true church. But you know what happens? That's when you go back to Romans chapter 11, when the fullness of the Gentiles ends. Verse 25. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. 
When the rapture takes place, that is it for the Gentile church. doesn't mean Gentiles can't be saved. Then God turns his attention rather to Israel and God grafts them right back in and Israel is on the verge of being restored. Verse 23 through 25. And we'll not comment on, we'll deal with this next week, but I want you to see this. And they also, that is the Jewish branches, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. I mean, God's going to graft them back in for God is able to graft them in. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches, that is the nation of Israel, be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of this mystery. Because if you are, it's going to lead to pride. You're going to think that you are it. You are the focal point. Understand that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until what? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and then all Israel will be saved because God's going to grant them back. Paul has warned the Gentile church, and I have to carry forth with Paul's warning. It's possible that you've looked down upon Israel. You've said, look at them. They don't believe. Jews don't believe the gospel. And all the while, you're playing church like, like they did at Laodicea. You know, they played church. Jesus said that you think you're rich. You think you have everything. You don't have anything. See, their problem was they thought they had it together. And they didn't. They didn't see themselves as wretched, wicked sinners in need of a savior. They were professing Christians. They were not cold towards the gospel. They certainly weren't hot either. If they were hot, they had been believers. They were lukewarm, playing religious games, churchianity, phonies, in that they pretended to be following Christ, but they weren't. Is it possible that some here are like that? And you'll be cut off. If you remain in that condition, when the church is raptured, and I don't know when that'll be, could take place anytime. You'll be cut off. Just be cut off. There is more hope for Israel than for you because Israel is going to be grafted back in. You may be playing games with Christ. The message that Paul would say to you and I just carry forth as a messenger of the, of the word of God, the real question is, do you believe? Not whether you're Jewish or Gentile. Have you trusted Christ? What does that mean? Have you repented? Have you changed your mind about your sin, about the Savior? And have you turned to him for salvation? Have you come to him? If you have, then you're part of the true church. You never have to be concerned about being cut off. If you haven't and you remain like that, you'll be cut off. Are you playing at Christ, Christianity? Are you like the church at Laodicea? What's the proof? How do you know if you're really saved? Your life will evidence it. There'll be a change, a desire to obey. It's about for prayer. If you don't know Christ, you know what the, what the next thing I'm going to say is. Then why not come to him? If you've heard all of this, why not come to him? Don't be arrogant towards those who, who are no longer in the place of blessing and deceive yourself that you're in the place of blessing just because maybe you identify with this church. Maybe you have a family member who knows Christ and, and some of the blessings kind of carry over, spill over to you. You'll be cut off. I mean, what if the rapture took place today? What would you do? You don't ever have to wonder about that if you trust Christ. The rapture took place and you've trusted Christ, you're gone. God has a plan for Israel. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever lose sight of that. And with it, make sure there's no religious pride in which you look down upon anybody who doesn't believe because you stand only by the grace of God. If you've never trusted Christ, do so right where you are. Father, oh, your mercy. How merciful you are to Jews and Gentiles that you would receive anyone who simply believes Lord, we pray that in this congregation, all who might hear this message might be sure that they know Christ, might be sure that they are those who 
who have truly believed the gospel. Lord, protect us from religious pride. Protect us from an attitude that, that gets away from the grace of God. We stand only by your grace, Father, and help us. It is very easy for us to get caught in the trap of viewing our religious activities and biblical knowledge as signs that we are among God's people. Yet the Bible is clear that it is only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we are adopted into God's family. We pray that you have made that decision for Christ. If you would like to know more about how you can be a child of God, please call us at 727-239-0306. We would love to help you in this important decision. Next time, Pastor Steve will examine how all Israel will someday be saved. Please join us here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between.